beautiful nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in, golf fans. You have stumbled upon the Preferred Lines podcast, written, produced, hosted by yours truly, Joe Idoni. You can find me at Tour Picks on Twitter or X, whatever you prefer. And I'm excited to bring to you a live show tonight streaming on YouTube. The audio, audio podcast, excuse me, will be available on Spotify and Apple Pods and anywhere you get your podcasts here shortly. Uh, but we're going to break down the Genesis Invitational. We have... The return of the greatest of all time is injecting himself into this signature event series, which I'm excited to talk about. We'll wrap up things from the waste management. Uh, football season's over. It's all eyes on golf, and hopefully the PGA Tour can capitalize this week on a lot of eyeballs that will be coming to the game, and we, we get through delay season, and everything will be off to a great start. I got to mention that this podcast is brought to you in part by the great folks over at Rotoballer. I have joined their team this season. We've got a fantastic offer. Uh, the promo code that I can give you is Lines. Lines is going to get you, I believe, 15% off your membership. It comes down to like $7 a week. You will have access to all of my content there, the launching long shots video, course preview, breakdown, top tens, uh, the market mover segment, which I've really, really enjoyed doing that I hope you guys like as well, uh, is up there also. And you get access to all the other guys, Spencer, Byron, Two of the, the most in-the-weeds stat guys that I know in terms of building models and breaking down numbers and analytics. Uh, make sure to go check out the team over there. Promo code LINES. Thank you to Rotoballer. It's getting across the bottom right now for supporting this podcast. As always, if you enjoy the show, make sure to like and subscribe to the Preferred Lines YouTube channel. It is my goal very soon to hopefully get this YouTube channel up over the like the the plateau that I've been reaching for of a thousand subscribers. I know that we can do it. Help me get there. I would genuinely appreciate it. And without further ado, to come on and, and we'll wrap things up from last week. We'll get to the odds boards. We'll make some picks. We'll talk the course. Welcoming back into Preferred Lines for his third or fourth time on the show, um, my good friend and dear, dear favorite person in golf content to take in some of their incredible stuff. Welcome back, Andy Lack. What's up, dude? Not much, man. That was such a wonderful intro. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to join you on what I believe to be my favorite non-major of the season. Um, where are you at in, in your power rankings? Like right off the top, not to put you on the spot, but if you had to give me your favorite non-major PGA Tour event of the season, where would you go? You know, this is absolutely up there. I would say my favorite is Memorial, and mostly because I have yeah. personal ties to it. It was the first tournament I ever attended. It was like a two-and-a-half-hour drive from where I grew up. I have incredible memories there of watching Tiger and Phil and the great sort of tee it up, and I love how it kind of comes in the midsummer right between major seasons. But without a doubt, I mean, you don't – you know every hole before we get there, and so do I, and so do so many viewers of Riviera, and there's nothing overly dramatic, I would say. Like, there's no hazards or anything crazy or tricks and, you know, things that are d overly done at Riviera, but we know all the shots. We've seen a fantastic group of winners, and we usually see the cream rise to the top. Yeah, I would call it a, a death by a thousand paper cuts course, right? And, and players have players have talked about this in the past. Like there's nothing overly tricky or sneaky about Riviera, right? There are a lot of, there are a lot of dog legs and things of that nature. But as you mentioned, there's no water hazards on the entire golf course. Um, and that is kind of a staple of George Thomas's architecture, right? Like he, yeah. what he was so good at was challenging players with angles. Now, something we could probably get into is how a lot of those angles have been compromised by how far the golf ball travels now and driver face technology. But for the most part, like Riviera still delivers every single year. It's, it's been trending towards getting easier the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm sure we can talk about if, that if you want as well, but for the most part, whether it's 17 under nine under 13 under 18 under, it's a pretty darn good 
course for separating like the best players from the worst players, which, you know, I I've been saying is something I hope starts changing a little bit more on the PGA tour for, uh, for now six weeks in and, and running out of money to bet on, on this crazy sport of ours. Dude, I know. I talked to you, what was it, four weeks ago at the Amex when I came on your show, and we're like, this has got to end. It has right. an end. Let me, I was going to ask you this question a little further into the show, but since you started down the, the sort of George Thomas and the architectural link, um, purely as an opinion here, as someone who appreciates the nuances of and deeply in tune with golf course architecture, does it bother you, Andy, when players hit up the wrong fairway, like on 15, Mr. Hovland is doing and kind of avoiding one of the most hazardous bunkers on the PGA Tour and not playing the course as intended by the design. Um, not to say if it's right or wrong, but does it sort of bother you as someone who is who is really into that kind of stuff? Yes, but I don't blame the players for taking advantage of <laughs> optimal strategy. Um, yeah. I, I think that that is on the PGA tour officials and tournament organizers who, who set up a golf course like Riviera to create internal OB to prevent players from doing that. If they don't want players to do that. Now you can look at it the other way and say, you know, maybe it's entertaining for fans to watch Victor Hovland hit up a, another fairway. And, and if you want to keep that, then I understand that as well. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I've had to navigate is understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, this is an entertainment product. We don't go to the golf courses that I would want to go to from an architectural standpoint, and we never are going to go to those golf courses. So this is really about creating like the golf courses that I would want to play that would be at my bucket list um, in terms of what I would want to play versus the golf courses that I think produce the best professional golf are wildly different to begin with anyway, right? So, you know, I think a golf course like Riviera um, are we starting to lose it a little bit in real time? I talked about this on my Sunday podcast, uh, because of how far the golf ball travels. Absolutely. If you want like example, a of the distance problem manifesting in real time, just look at the, I can give you a million numbers of how Riviera plays differently than it did in 1985 or even 2005. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, like you can't get mad at the players for doing this. Like their job is to identify optimal strategy. Right. One of the, well, speaking of optimal strategies, I guess let's go back to sort of the waste management a little bit. Many a players annoyed with the fans and the situation they believe has gotten a little bit out of control there. Um, is it something so unique that you feel like the players should just need to sort of drop the pretentiousness and embrace it? Or has it crossed the line? Yeah, this is a tough one, man. I, I've thought about this a, a, a decent amount over the last couple of days. And I think the PGA Tour has a real legitimate identity problem. And I think that they need to tread very, very carefully and very, very lightly in terms of losing some of the tournaments that do have a distinct identity. Now, that is not to say that some of the unruly drunken behavior by the fans didn't probably cross the line. I'm sure it did. Like at the end of the day, this is these guys' jobs out there. They're playing for millions of dollars. Um, every single golf shot for like a professional golfer has the ability to completely drastically change their career. You look about what Charlie Hoffman's life would look like over the next two to three years if he won this tournament versus even just finishing second, but this is kind of a, a non-answer, but to me, I would stray closer to the line of you need to preserve Phoenix. Um, and, and I, I don't quite have the best answer of how you toe the line of getting the fans to be more respectful, um, while still making it the highest attended tournament on, on tour. This is the, this is a massive moneymaker um, for the PGA tour, Joe, like yeah. Phoenix is the best attended tournament on tour. They just um, built a whole DraftKings new sports books there. Like the, the opportunities for the PGA tour with that golf course and with that tournament 
um, from a financial standpoint is pretty endless compared to other PGA tour events. So I think they're in a tricky spot where, you know, they have to keep the players happy, but if they start trying to change the identity of that tournament, one of the only tournaments that has an identity on the PGA tour, I think they're, they're walking kind of a slippery slope. What do you think? Yeah. So some of the clips that came out of Horschel and ZJ, they, bothered me a little bit if i'm being completely honest the sense of entitlement that i felt there and elitism i think is wrong i think that you have one of the most fun fan environments of the year and how the tour covered it with basically showing us one singular 120 yard golf hole on saturday is another thing but it's part of the event and you know the players the purses have increased drastically and they want to find something to complain about just go play golf to me and it's it's you know players are i i understand they're playing for a ton of money and one shot could change could be the difference between five hundred thousand dollars for them but you know what one free throw for lebron james can be the difference in making and losing a game and players and people are screaming the most vile ridiculous things during a football game and a basketball thing at these guys and i realize it's a common occurrence and something that they're used to but Complaining about it and yelling back at the fans during the event, I think, is the wrong way to go about it and and makes those guys look bad and makes the rest of the tour look bad in conjunction with them because no one's really uh, no one's really on the other side outwardly sticking up for them, except for like Smiley and Kevin Kisner in the booth. You know, I, I think that's a good point. And, and what I would say seems like the most natural solution is and. Previously, if you had asked me this question before the tournament started, I would have told you, I don't understand why this isn't a signature event, right? Because why not capitalize on one of the most fun golf courses that you have um, and bring all the best players to it? You'd probably even sell more tickets than you would in the past. Um, I, after watching Phoenix and watching what three of the best five players that would have been in the field withdraw on Monday and Hovland, Xander and Finau. I actually think this is like a perfect situation to be like, Hey, we know this tournament is different. We're going to embrace it. It seems like the fans are going to show up and have a great time, whether the best players in the world are there or not. So why don't we just leave this a non-signature event And if you don't want to play it because you don't like the atmosphere, then nobody's holding a gun to your head and making you play it. Yeah, they broke the uh, they broke the tournament record, I believe, on Saturday. And they were like storming the gates and they had to stop letting people in and with terrible weather and their worst field in a couple of years delays. And no one knew who was starting. People just show up. It's not like they showed up at at 9 a.m. on Saturday because they knew Spieth teed off at 908 and they were there to follow that group. The 90 percent of the people there had no idea who was playing, where they were at on the course. They were just there to have a good time. And I think that um I think in spots, absolutely, it's something that's good for the game and should be embraced by the players. And another thing that, you know, I thought a lot about this, Annie, and another thing that it's starting to bother me a little bit about the players, and I wonder your take on it, because I feel like you may have a different opinion than me on this, but I was very much in for this offseason when the players took the majority votes on the tour, and they added more players to this policy board, and Cantlay and Spieth and these guys were now... They have the majority. So anything that needs passed through the tour has to be passed by the players. They have the most votes. But a lot of them have come out in the last week and been um, critical of the live guys coming back to their tour. Right. And they've made things like I don't think it should necessarily be a direct path. They don't want them to just unpenalize, which I understand. This is the thing is I understand their opinion and their reasoning behind it. But. In what sport should the players be in charge of who they get to play against, right? Mm-hmm. If they qualify in the tour and what's best for these sponsors who are putting up $20 million and what's best for the company that just invested $12 billion into their league is to find a way to bring these guys back to the PGA Tour, I think. And if the players don't want it, I don't think that it should be up to them. Do you agree with me there? Or should the players have a big say in who gets to play on their tour? 
Um, I, I do agree with you. I think it's a little complicated and nuanced once you start getting into um, the players that have directly sued the PGA Tour. But for the most part, I, I think a lot of this is an ego problem, Joe. Okay. okay. And I think there's going to be a lot of guys on the PGA Tour that are going to look at a lot of the live players and say, God, you really had your cake and ate it too, right? Like you took, you got this giant bag of money to basically play on this breakaway tour for a couple of years. You, you, you didn't really have to grind the way that we maybe did. You, you were playing for much bigger purses. Um, and now we are going to join back together under some sort of unified tour. And we are the ones that didn't get any of that money and had to do your guys's, you know, do the PGA tours bidding, which kind of stabbed us in the back at the end of the day, no matter what. And I think it's, I think a lot of those PGA tour guys have a right to be upset, but I yeah. think at the end of the day, they also are going to have to put their egos aside and ultimately do what's best for the game at the end of the day. And, and obviously I think I've been pretty vocally critical about the logistical challenges of a global tour that I think a lot of people are not taking into consideration. Now, with that being said, you know, getting these guys back together for more than four weeks a year um, is essential. I don't care whether they're playing in Saudi Arabia or at Crooked Cat or at TPC Sawgrass, but as fans, this concept that we have to settle for four weeks a year um, is wild in sports. Like if you, if you think about it, it, it truly is wild. Um, so I, I really do think that a lot of the PGA tour guys have to say to themselves, like, you know what? We didn't take the live money. We stayed on the PGA tour. Um, this is the decision that we made, we probably did okay financially. A lot of those PGA tour guys had an easier path to make money on the PGA tour because yes. a lot of the talent left from the PGA tour. And, you know, honestly, Joe, if you gave some of the live guys truth serum, I'm not sold that every single player that went to live was totally happy with their decision either. Like this goes a little bit farther than money for guys too. like live with players have talked about, I don't know how open this is. I've, I've heard from a couple people, but like with players have talked about how, you know, since they've gone to live, like their kids aren't getting as invited to as many birthday parties. Cause like people are, you know, abusing them online about being bidders for the Saudis. So like there's consequences to, to decisions in, in both realms. Right. And, and at yeah. the end of the day, um, it would be nice to feel like the fans had a chance at winning you know, once, once in like yeah. the history of golf over the past three years. And, you know, you made some great points there that I, and I take a lot of, um, try to take as much understanding as I can there. It, it's, it's tough because I do think that the PGA tour players, while they didn't take the money, they sort of indirectly had major benefits from what has transpired totally. with Liv. the purses went two and a half X for a guy like, I don't know for a guy like my boy Denny McCarthy to not have to play like Rom and Brooks and Bryson and all yeah. of these guys, and all of a sudden he's a top fifteen player in the field instead of the thirty second player. He's indirectly benefiting. He's the purse is double. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of people that this is a, still a very hot button, politically charged topic with that they are also seeing these guys as the good guys. I had. I was kind of honestly kidding. I was watching live. I, I really have enjoyed the first two weeks from being honest with the broadcast. And I was like kidding and like took a little snippet of like Rom who was getting like uh, angry at some fans. And it's gotten like a million views and like a thousand retweets because people all want to talk about it. And the majority of them are um, either extremely negative or extremely positive. And no one just saw that I was, I was sort of like kidding on the whole thing. And, how ironic it was that while Phoenix was going on, there was music playing and like he's telling fans to silence their phone while it sounds like Club 54, like right off the side of the tee box. It was it's just it's just weird. And I would like to find a way for 
them all to come back together. And I think that if live players are able to, if there's able to be a qualification system, if they're, if the sponsor who's hosting and paying for the tournament wants to issue, if the cognizant classic in two weeks wants to issue a sponsor's invite to Brooks Kepka, who always attended this event, who doesn't have a live tournament going on, who lives 10 miles down the road and grew up here. I think that he should be able to play. Agreed. I, I think you probably feel uh, similarly to this, but I think the, and this is why I have um, just stopped engaging in, in the discourse in general, as it pertains to live PGA tour. And um, it took me a while to get there, right? Like I, I argued with people. I, I wish I had that time back. Me I too. wish I could take it back, but I, I certainly argued with people about this on the, in the past. And I think a lot of, um, golf fans, people that just really are in the weeds like you and I that really care about this have kind of just reached a point where, um, listen, the people that like live are, are just, I I've talked about this on my podcast before. It's, it, it's a lot like politics. Like it, there's not going to be a lot of people changing teams at this point. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who signs next with Lev if they got Wyndham Clark or Terrell Hatton, like the people that are out on Lev made their mind up about Lev a while ago. Okay. And a lot of them made their mind up about Lev, which had nothing to do about golf. Okay. They made their mind up about Lev for other reasons. And if they tried the golf, they tried it a long time ago and, and that's where they're at. And, and a lot of the people that like ride for this league, they are so in ride for live they're already so pot committed to that about it like being the best and better than the pga tour like they're all in already so i think um you know if we get some sort of unification i don't know what anyone on the internet is going to fight about anymore i would i would much rather fight with people about how far the golf ball travels and driver face technology than live versus pga tour at this point but yeah i think we're both in the same boat where we're kind of tired of the discourse and, and hoping that something comes together for us in the next next couple of years at least I wanted to ask you something because I think you have one of the best analytical minds uh, in golf content. So I noticed and I, and I heard your podcast. Congrats on um, sort of partnering with Ron and the rabbit hole thing that they've done. I think that they're bringing a new sort of generation and access and um, filters that nobody else has sort of in the stat game. But I wanted to ask you something that I've kind of been noticing because since I started listening to golf content. 10 12 years ago when it was just pat and jeff mm -hmm. there's been this narrative that is so heavily pushed and i think it's i think it's mostly right but it's that putting is the most variable thing ever and part of me is like every time i hear it andy i'm like ah oh, is it though like is it the most really the most variable thing ever? and and i get back to this because last week i was wrong and the reason I was wrong is I said, look, Scotty Scheffler is not a good putter. He's had the two of his three best putting performances in his career at Phoenix. Um, does that mean he's going to just all of a sudden putt great here again? No way. No way does he putt seven strokes above his baseline here. He kind of did. Like, And I'm starting to think that putting may not be quite as random as we may think and it may be predictive a little bit more than i think the mainstream narrative is be and i was kind of like looking a little bit at the beginning tournaments of the season and just the people who have ranked top 15 in strokes game putting in the first six tournaments of the year and not all these guys have played all six events but 19 different guys so far this season most of them have played four tournaments have been top 15 in putting more than once that's way more than approach. That's way more than off the tee. So the same players are putting well across multiple tournaments. Good putters are putting really well. Denny McCarthy's, um, Stuart Singh, Grio, Ben Griffin, Taylor Montgomery. These guys have been in the top 15 of strokes game putting two or three times. And I look at some great iron players. Now, Scotty's kind of the exception, but you look at an uh, 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 above average iron player like Justin Thomas or someone like max homa even and it's like one week they're plus three one week they're minus two then they're plus four then they're minus one so 
do you think the narrative it may be that putting is not predictive whatsoever and is less predictive than other stats could be a little bit overblown or am i just kind of too far in the weeds and overlooking this here um you're not too far in the weeds this is um <laughs> how much time do you have i I'll, I'll i'll attempt to keep this brief um okay putting is predictive it, it Putting from three to 15 feet is predictive. Um, mm -hmm. what is, what is on not predictive is long putts. Okay. So yeah. that is, I think the thing that people mistake a lot, but if you look at the R squared for, um, putting from three to 15 feet, um, and the players that are consistently the best from three to 15 feet, um, that is very consistent. Okay. Over 24 rounds, over 50 rounds year to year generally there's going to be cases where you know somebody like jason day can be the best putter in the world for a year and then lose it same thing with speed same thing with ricky fowler those are just three guys off the top of my head that went from being good putters to bad putters but that happens with ball striking as well um yeah right? like, uh, point, you know really. yeah. it, it, that happens with ball striking as well um the unpredictive the the reason why there is validity to the randomness in putting is that it is easier to gain strokes putting with a hold 50 footer i don't need to get too deep into the nuances of strokes gain but it's easier to gain strokes putting with a hold 50 footer than it is to hit to gain strokes off the tee with a 330 yard drive down the middle of the fairway mm -hmm. so where putting can get sneaky is if a player holes happens to hold a lot of long putts in a round that is going to largely skew their putting stats but one of the things that i have been looking at for years and and um i would encourage other people to look at is the stickiness of putting inside 15 feet um mm -hmm. so i agree with you um i i think you just need to get a little bit more specific at what types of putting you're looking at Okay, well, I know let's get into Riviera a little bit because I know this has been one of the most difficult places to hold putts, hole putts, excuse me, uh, inside of 10 feet every year. Very mm -hmm. tough. The greens are fast. They're POA. They are masterfully crafted, I think, by George Thomas, and they play tricks with sort of angles and pin locations that just make them very difficult because I think they – I think a lot of times on approach shots, what this course does such a great job of is encouraging, maybe not encouraging, but making the simple shot on approach also a rather difficult putt. So if you really want to get aggressive with your approach, you're going to have to take on a lot of risk in order to get yourself a relatively flat uphill putt that you want. Um, if you take the safe route, you may hit the green, but then you're left with a very difficult, um, 25 foot putt that you could eventually three, putt. what are your sort of, do you, do you side with me there? Are there one or two things and sort of nuances of this course that maybe you're factoring in a little bit than someone who's reading a, you know, a, a course preview out there from anywhere else? Um, I don't know what people are saying because I've been running around, uh, like a chicken with my head cut off today, doing, doing all, doing a bunch of content. But one thing that I, uh, don't think I'm just going off like last year's content. If I remember correctly, do people talk about Riviera as a bomber's paradise? You know, I think I've heard it a little bit. I kind of, and I don't know where, where you're at on it, but I kind mm -hmm. of lean that way. Yeah. Um, but Me I think too, there are uh, people, I think people, some people maybe will just look at fairways and regulation and see that less than 50% are hit. And they'll say, Oh, this is a great course for someone like a Brian Harmon or a Colin Morikawa or someone who's going to hit 75, 80% of fairways because the rough is difficult. You can't get really any roll out of the rough. So if you can hit fairways, you'll have a big advantage. But when you look at what, like, these players have done with driver and even Neiman, who's like not the longest guy out there, but just hitting it yeah. so far. And the greens are big in size, but like I mentioned, they do a great job with angles. So they do not play 7,500 feet, particularly from 175 yards, your landing area coming out of the rough is very small. So if you mm -hmm. can come in with an eight iron versus a six iron, it's a huge advantage, particularly if not many, if less than half the fairways are hit for all players. 
Yeah. I think you're spot on there, Joe. Like I look at it last year and, um, every single one of the top six gained significantly to the field and distance and three of the top six, including Rom, Homa and Zalatoris lost fairly significantly in accuracy, hitting well below 50% of their fairways. You look at the prior year, 10 of the top 12 gained to the field and distance, only five of the top 12 gained in accuracy. Neiman won losing significantly to the field in driving accuracy. Same with Adam Scott and Hovland, who both finished top five. So, you know, I, th- I think um, this is a golf course with a really low missed fairway penalty, right? Um, like it's, it ranks at the absolute bottom on tour um, in terms of missed fairway penalty. There's just, there's no hazards or, or, or anything out there. And I think people get Kikuyu in their head and, and freak out. It, it, I mean, it's, I play a lot of Kikuyu. It's, it's, I, I would rather play Kikuyu than Bermuda seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Um, so, you know, to me, this is a golf course where unfortunately some of the angles and dog legs have been compromised by this concept of, okay, these fairways are narrow, firm and canted anyway, and I can cut the corner with this dog leg. So would I rather try and hit this 25 yard wide fairway and have a five iron out of the fairway or just try and cut the corner of the dog leg be fine in the rough and have a nine iron out of the rough and i think that's what's happened to riviera a little bit over the years uh statistically at least in my opinion so to answer your question like i think an underrated way to to get different at riviera is is maybe emphasize the importance of power off the tee um, and then I, I, I still like, I continue to think that, um, putting from three to 15 feet and experience on polo, like this was the same thing that helped me hit Wyndham Clark. Like I, I put Wyndham Clark before that putting, uh, crazy round at Pebble beach made everything from three to 15 feet. And look what happens when he rolls in a couple long ones. He wins the, he, you know, he wins the tournament, right? So I would say if you're looking to get different power off the tee and putting from three to 15 feet are, are really important at Riviera. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Wyndham Clark here in a few minutes. When we get to the odds boards, I feel like he is for the second and third consecutive week, probably the most mispriced player on the odds board in terms of talent and win equity that he holds in a big time event like this. But what about where do you stand on reps? Okay. So I was looking into this last week a lot and it, it kind of bothered me a little bit about guys like Victor and Rory. It, it's golf is such a unique sport and you're a former player who played at a very high level. Um, it's so unique that there's nothing else really like it where there's players like Tom Hoagie who have played six consecutive events. There's guys like Xander who really grinded early in the season playing four or maybe it was even five consecutive weeks there, but got his game into form. They're getting tournament reps under their belt early in the season. And then they're playing guys kind of coming off the preseason. You know what I mean? Who have played a quarter and now they're thrust into a big game and they're playing against teams who are in week five, right? Who are in week six of the regular season. Um, How important it is like for someone like Victor, for instance, that has played seven rounds all year, seven rounds since the tour championship of golf. He goes back and sees his coach and would rather sort of figure things out on the range. And this is probably player specific. But do you take into account when betting and looking at the odds board how much a guy has played, especially at this awkward point in early February where there's some guys who we've seen a lot of and some we've seen very little? Yes and no. Like you raise such an interesting um, point that I think about a lot and because it's it's still sort of unquantifiable and different players are going to react differently to different scheduling spots. Um, I think it varies from player to player, but like I'll give you two quick examples. Eric Cole's played every single week this season. Okay. He hasn't taken one week off. Um, I'm just going to, I think I'm going to wait. I I just, he looks, you know, he looks like he's starting to lose some steam. His ball striking numbers are heading in the wrong direction. I get it. You're a 35 year old dude that got hot, like squeeze as much out of it as you can. Um, But that after a certain point, the travel, the weather, I mean, you just played two shitty weather weeks in a row with, you know, really difficult start times in different cities. Like, 
take a week off and then we can talk. Um, and Hovland, um, you have to trust players, I think, especially at the high level, to understand schedule optimization. Okay. And these guys work with schedule. I know people that do schedule optimization mm-hmm. for PGA Tour pros. My friend who's on the podcast 15 times, Joseph Omanio, works with pros on schedule optimization. Um, Hovland's an interesting case because he didn't skip Phoenix because he didn't want to play Phoenix. He skipped Phoenix because he had some serious issues in his game and he thought that he was way better suited at home with his coaches figuring it out than playing through it. But I think at the highest level, like you got to trust Rory's a good example of this. Rory has been going to Dubai instead of Hawaii for his entire career. And Rory always plays great in January. Um, he always almost wins Dubai. He always um, uh, he always plays well at Riviera. He always plays well in Florida. And then he's like oh, ready to go for the players. So, you know, I, I at the highest level, I trust it. I trust whatever their schedule is. Um, but then with Eric Cole, it's just like, dude, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Well, signature event. They're all here this week. The best in the world. Let's look at the odds. Top of the board this week. Once again, world number one. Almost did it last week. Scotty Scheffler is plus 750. So seven and a half to one over at Bet365. Rory second on the board at 10 to 1. Victor Hovland 14 to 1. Xander at 16 to 1. JT now, whoa, down to 18 to 1. Uh, can't lay at 18. Morikawa at 20. Home at 20. Where's Ludwig? Ludwig's still at 20. Ludwig's at 22 now. Um, favorite guy on the top of the board, Mr. Lack? Uh, uh, okay, favorite so. Bet, I should say yeah, favorite. I, 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 I bet Justin Thomas at 22 to 1. Good. Okay. That makes me feel better because I I think you can make um, an inspired case for a lot of these guys, Joe. I I settled on Justin Thomas mainly because uh, yes, I could give you a million reasons based on his course vet. Um, He's obviously been great at Riviera, uh, but I saw something at the Amex where I said, this guy is on a mission to win like before the players. Um, this guy is not easing into the masters. Uh, this guy hasn't won a golf tournament since Southern Hills. Do I have that correctly? I can't, th- I can't think I'm pretty sure he hasn't won a golf tournament since the 2022 PGA. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is wow. not a lot separating, um, from a course fit standpoint, at least in my numbers, a lot of these guys at the top can give you a great case for Rory, great case for Scotty, great case for Victor, great case for Xander. But in terms of like who needs this, um, we can litigate whether if he gets paired with Tiger, that makes you feel better or worse. Um, but this is just a, a, a JT week to me. And and to be honest with you, um, I, I was a little surprised at 22 to one for him and 14, 14 for Xander Hovland. Yes. Uh, well, Zan, here's the thing. Xander's playing great. I don't get Hovland's not playing great. Cantlay's no. there. I don't understand what's going on, but he's shooting out the first round lead, but he's like dealing with demons right now. I feel like mm-hmm. um, Xander's playing the best of the three. So I still think he's always mispriced at 16 to one. I took Justin Thomas as well. Um, the ball striking is back. He's, he's nearing leaderboards, which I'm happy to see. He is not like finishing second all every week, which is going to plummet his betting price. And when he does get that win, which I agree with you is probably coming before they leave Florida. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be down in the 16, 14 to one heading into majors this season. Playing fantastic. Should have won in 2019. Four-stroke lead heading into the final round. Lost to J.B. Holmes. Lost it. Has talked very openly about how much he was hurt by that event. He, he, you know, obviously wants to take a title from Tiger Woods um, in a trophy presentation. So, I think he sets up phenomenal this week. And the other one for me is, is I took a 20. It looks like there's 22s now out there at one book at least. But I took Ludwig. Um, Mm. 
I, God, man, just special. His ability to tee to green is maybe two years, like close to the, th- it's like Scotty Rory Ludwig right now for me is like yeah. the, the number three guy and his ability to drive it. And he's putted great on POA. That's the difference mm-hmm. is I don't think Rory um, necessarily loves POA. I think that Scotty has problems. I think it was great for him to get back on really fast lightning Bermuda mostly last week. Um, I worry about his ability to hold putts. I think Ludwig was in a good position to potentially win at Pebble Beach a few weeks ago. Um, putted good at the Farmers. His his win on the uh, DP World Tour at the o- Omega, I think it was. I, I forget the name of it, but it was Polo Greens. Um, just love those two guys at the top. I sort of saw these honed in on these two names right away. I thought about Sam Burns because I think he's playing amazing right now. And I had him last week and it felt like I was texting our buddy Luke about it. And we were like, Burns is going to eagle one of these holes on the back nine and get himself right into this. And sure enough, like he just comes through clutch with eagles and putts when you need him and striking the ball really well but ended up on, on JT and Ludwig. And those are really my only two guys inside of, inside of 40 to one this week. Yeah. Um, I am pretty close on Ludwig. I know it's been a a pretty popular bet this morning. I think, um, I think the, the quick case against Ludwig is that we haven't seen uh, a first time winner here since 2005 and Adam Scott, there actually is nuance to Riviera. Um, like it is the type of course that if you've never played it before, you could be like, huh, this is interesting. I'm not really sure what I should do on this golf hole. Now, the counterpoint to that is, I mean, why isn't Ludwig 2005 Adam Scott? He could be 2012 Rory for all we know. Yeah. If you Cam think, Young, I think, finished second, second. in his first Guys year. have come close. Guys have guys in, in with like, talent. His yeah. skill set is like Cam Young, Adam Scott-esque for sure. Totally, totally. And, and, and if you think Ludwig is that guy, um, then this is a phenomenal golf course for him. Hmm. Okay. Like I said this, um, when he was winning the RSM classic. Okay. I I remember saying to a buddy, like, I don't think people realize how bad of a golf course that is for Ludwig. Like, just (laughs) wait till you get to golf courses where, they actually value what Ludwig does best. Like just wait till we get to Riviera and Torrey Pines and Bay Hill. Okay. And if you think Ludwig is that guy, um, then this is the spot that is going to accentuate everything that he does best. And I mean, this could be the coming out party, right? Like this could be the, this could be the enunciation of like, okay, this is like the fourth best player in the world. The weird thing about, golf to me and i i didn't play growing up but i've you know followed it obviously very closely since i've betting it and have gotten sort of the bug and gotten really into it is golf unlike really any other sport holds scar tissue and you can see it on the back nine when scotty's trying to hold like 10 foot putts even when justin thomas with what happened with speed and with morikawa down the stretch of events with xander these these elite players who go two years three years without winning there's just so much built up scar tissue in moments where they don't come through that is very hard to overcome. And I think it's advantageous for Ludwig to really not have any of that. Like he hasn't underperformed. He hasn't hit the stretch of struggles. He doesn't know what it's like to go through a spell where he's ball striking the hell out of it and can't hold a 12 foot putt. And that frustration that sort of builds and that monkey on your back when you're the best ball striker in the field and you can't make anything. And he's just kind of out there freewheeling. And I think that that's definitely a positive. Um, do I worry about him as a first timer? Of course, it's a concern. It'd be the biggest event that he's ever played and ever won in his entire life. Um, but I feel like this guy is as well suited as any young player to take on the task we've seen in a while. Um that's such an interesting point to bring up because there's so many, I agree with you and there's so many, it's so hard for me to hear you say that and not think about Rory. Um, and there's been so many like great Patrick Harrington quotes on this too, but actually the first guy that I thought of when you started saying this and I, we don't need to spend too much time on this guy because I don't think either of us are betting Mm -hmm. him, but do you think we're starting to reach that point with Scotty? Like, I don't know if people that aren't, as into the 
data community as maybe people like you and I are realize um, what he is doing right now and how wild he is that wild it is that he is not capitalizing on something this historic. We keep saying to ourselves, like, gosh, Scotty's going to win this week by six. If he just puts well, he's going to win this one by five. If he just puts well. And it's like, man, I wonder if, are we sure that's like going to happen? Like it's almost feels more likely that this ball striking, it's a tough one. You could argue it in so many directions, but when you talk about scar tissue, my mind immediately went to (laughs) what it's got to be like to, for Scotty to outplay um, Hoffman and Taylor from T to green and still be the one watching them do it out in the playoff has to be so frustrating. He actually putted pretty well last week and still didn't get it done. And, you know, every putt that he missed, he's looking over at Ted and he's like, this thing did something weird. I didn't think it was going to go right or whatever it is. But um, the pressure has to be mounting. I don't think this is a really tough take because he's obviously going to probably win multiple times this season, but seven and a half to one in any field is an unfair betting price on someone with this much scar tissue and this much of an ability to struggle in an area that is so important with outright winning. Um, When you look at those numbers that have really, I, I think there's a handful of players that have even been priced below seven to one that I can remember in all my years doing this. And they were in great putting runs. It was Rom like last year when he won four times in six weeks. He was putting fantastic. It was peak Tiger. Um, there was a moment when I think Dustin Johnson was priced around them when he was playing fantastic as well. But it's been a long time for Scotty and it continues yeah. to build and you can't really win is he a great DraftKings option almost every week no matter the price of course he is is he a great option in most matchups or top 10 markets yes is he a good bet at six and a half or seven to one almost never yeah yeah I um I think I agree with you so yeah for me to put a bow on the top of the range I have JT's the only bet that I've made I'm making a decision on my number two guy, it'll most likely either be Ludwig, maybe Cantlay or Xander. Um, but uh JT's the only guy I have in the 20s. Um, yeah. but I but but we can talk about some guys further down because there's one guy I love in the 40s too. Yeah, I was surprised to see it down to 18 to 1. There were 22s there. I think I saw somebody had like a 25 or 26 on JT. The guy in the mid, I I mean Wyndham Clark's 45 to 1. Yeah. Like, you bet that if you're here watching this show, you're betting golf, take Wyndham Clark 45 to one. He is a great putter. He is in complete, complete control with his irons. I saw him hit some shots where he's hip taking the spin off of it. He's putting the spin on it. He's eyeing down nearly every iron shot he hits. Um, he's been great on the West coast. He's been great in big time events. He reacts very favorably under immense pressure, which I think is a very underrated, unquantifiable thing. And the obviously the links to Pebble and Poa, George Thomas designed LACC. Is that correct? He sure did. Yeah, he yeah. did design. So he LACC. won there. He obviously yeah. won the U.S. Open at a Thomas design. Like it's just a price where I I feel like Will Zalatoris is the same price. Matt Fitz like. Take Wyndham Clark, and I think that that is a great value bet as I think the odds makers are slow to react on this guy. He's three times the price of Xander Shoffley. Like, he is just, I feel like, almost as likely to win this as Xander is this week. I really trust that number, um, and he's playing great golf. Yeah, I'm so glad that people are coming around on Wyndham Clark because... I was uh, slow. I was very uh, slow to come around. Entering the year... Um, my numbers were continually suggesting that this was like a top 10 guy on this version of the PGA tour, uh, at least at some of the fields that we were, uh, some of the courses and his fit at some of the courses that we were playing early in the season. Like it, he was like incredibly high up in, in my numbers and modeling at every event that we played this season, um, like top five at pebble century Amex, um, and, and fine. I bet him every week. And finally it came through for me at pebble. Um, 
I don't understand why he doesn't get the respect that that he deserves in the betting market yet. I think he is unquestionably um, like at bare minute. He's the sixth ranked player in the world right now, whatever that is. I don't really care about the OWGR anymore, but I think on this version of the PGA tour, I think you're nuts. If you put him outside the top 15 uh, players of just like any week, no matter the golf course, he's one of the top 15 guys on this iteration of the PGA tour. Um, the guy that I love in this uh, in this range is Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, okay, I love I love Fitzpatrick at uh, at golf courses like Riviera with a low greens and regulation percentage and hmm. a low driving accuracy percentage. Um, not to get like super into the weeds with some of the the rabbit hole stuff that I'm looking at, but like the 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 way that this guy raises his baseline on golf courses with like smaller greens, golf courses with low greens and regulation percentages, golf courses where there's a lot of rough, golf courses where you have to scramble from the rough. Um, he's a really like underrated, powerful driver of the golf ball. He has a fifth place finish at Riviera in the past. Um, I think if we got the conditions that we got on Thursday in Phoenix, Fitz would have contended. Um, it looked like him and Lowry were going to be running away with this thing on Thursday morning when it looked like they were at Portrush. Um, and, uh, he still finished top 15 from the wrong side of the draw. Uh, so, you know, I, I love Fitzpatrick at this golf course. I think 40 to one is a very fair number on like a U.S. open champion, um, Brookline, really small greens too, low greens and regulation percentage. Like this is just a Fitzpatrick course, in my opinion. Seen a lot of people hop back in on Cam Young. Where are you at with him? Um, I, I, I'm not going to bet him this week, but I, I, I'm a big Cam Young fan long term. Um, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good fit for him. I, I don't, I don't think he'll make the final cut for me. Uh, but I, I'm cautiously optimistic about cam this week i'm gonna be with lamagna at at riviera so i'm sure i'll be following i'll I'll be following him a ton him and um just to quickly ask you about zalatoris too like those were kind of the two guys where i feel like people are really really fast the second they show you something particularly on golf courses that fit their game as well and i was actually a little bit surprised that i didn't see more zalatoris love this morning considering he showed some serious stuff at, at Torrey and this is a great golf course for him. Yeah. I actually threw him. He was the last pick on my card at Torrey. I think it was 80 to one. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, I'm looking now like he he's gained, you know, over two strokes T to green in his last two starts. Um, it's not, it's not quite there yet for me enough to pull the trigger. I would still like to see, see a little bit more, um, consistency with the irons. He's still bleeding a ton of strokes with the putter. He was awful at the hero. He lost four and a half at the Sony he lost two and a half at the Amex. I, I still have some major concerns there, but um, he's going to have to get back to ball striking it at a level where he's gaining between like seven and 10 strokes on the field. I think if he's going to win an outright ticket, that's fair. Um, I don't. Yeah. I, I, the only bets I've made are, are JT and Fitz. Um, I mean, are we are we wild for not giving more consideration to uh, to some of the guys deeper down based on what we've seen at the beginning of the year? Do we have to have like a quick Tiger conversation too? Like if I give you um, over under finishing position for Tiger, say let's say thirty fifth. Or, or yeah, thirty fifth in a seventy man field. Are you taking the the over or the under? I think he's going to finish worse than that, so I would yeah. take the over there. I, I I'll root for it. There will be plenty of coverage. I hope the comeback is there. Was super, uh, very encouraged by the swing and the movement that I saw at the hero. Um, he hasn't been. He has not been good here. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. No, he is not. It's yeah. like uh, Riviera so interesting. It's the one golf course that Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas, neither of them have won at Riviera and they played it uh, throughout their career. Interestingly enough. Yeah. But I think you got it to like, you, you 
pick a couple long shots. If you're betting golf at this point in the season and you aren't taking guys over 100 to 1, like it's happened every single week. I'll, I'm going to do my long shots video tomorrow, but one of the ones I really like, I got him at 110 to 1. It looks like there's 100 to 1 still available. Um, I took Kirk Kitayama. Yeah. Kirk Kitayama has been pretty good on the West Coast. I like difficult tasks for him i like i think you i don't love him in a birdie fest i like him in these he obviously won the signature event um signature event last year at bay hill he, he was pretty good at the uh, waste management phoenix open i think the numbers sort of are trending a bit for kirk kitayama i know that he did a lot of that with the putter but he's one of the names in this range that i trust um two things like one of the biggest differences between the guys you're seeing right now on your screen, if you're watching on YouTube and the guys, if I scroll up to this range right here is power. Like, look at all these guys. These guys all hit it far. These guys at 100 to one generally are all short hitters and not to say they can't compete here, but I'll take the one guy that sort of sticks out in Kitayama who does hit it far. Um, who can get streaky with his irons and I think has put up some good recent performances. But yeah, I think absolutely there are some that make sense. Speaking of the shorter hitting guys, like when you get down to that 50 range and, and players like Poston and and maybe yeah. Jason Day or guys who are below tour average in terms of ball speed, I do think that they probably get very overlooked this week and could make some yeah. intriguing options in DFS. Yeah. Um, I think it's actually like a sneaky, good bounce back spot for post. And even though we probably don't think of this as uh, a post and golf course, uh, you know, I know that you love this guy. Um, but I have like become the whisperer in, of this player in, you know, the run pure sports community, because for some reason, my models just continue to love this guy way over expectation week after week. And, um, and that's Adam Svensson, who mm -hmm. lipped out on 17 for Eagle to miss the cut on the number, despite catching the wrong side of the draw. Yeah. Um, I think Svensson's good. I don't think I have to sell you on that one. Um, he finished ninth at Riviera last year as well. He doesn't really have the the, the type of power that I've maybe looking for traditionally at, at Riviera. Um, but he's a really good iron player. Um, and he's had a lot of success on these greens, particularly in the past. Like he showed up to Riviera and gained five strokes putting in his first appearance. That's not easy to do. That doesn't happen very often. Um, so something about this golf course seemed to fit, particularly these greens with Fenson's eyes. And I think that, um, coming off a miscut on the number where he kind of got dealt a, a bad card with the draw. Uh, I think like a really sneaky DFS play at 6,600. Yeah. And the thing with the Svensson that I noticed is normally he'll play his best on the shorter courses, like you said, but he, he's interesting. He's actually above tour average. I'm looking now in terms of ball speed and accuracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's not necessarily short, but when you think of him, a lot of the players that you would lump together with him, like say like a Tom Hoagie, who's here on the board, fantastic wedge players and Adam's a pretty good wedge player, but his strength with his irons is really his long irons, like yeah. 175 to 225 yards. He is really, really good for not being a quote unquote bomber. Um, he hits his long irons really well and plays those long par threes very well also. And he's just, he's just a streaky enough putter where you catch him at the right time, like I did at the RSM a few years ago, and, and he'll gain nine strokes putting and, and win a tournament when he does so. Yeah. Um, so I think he's a great option, uh, you know, in the sixes in DFS. Cameron Davis as well, I, I, I typically like at golf courses like this. But um, yeah. but that's all I got for me. Hopefully it's JT for us, buddy. Um, yeah. I, I really think that I think this is such a perfect spot for him. I thought 22 to one was such a fair number. Um, so hopefully he, uh, hopefully he brings it home for us. My friend, I will be there cheering him on for us. That's I love to hear that. Um, congrats on all you're doing yet. Yeah, it's one of those weird weeks where I felt like the last couple I've been like making a card for me. Hasn't like I've second guessed things and, and, and kind of, talked myself in and out on guys um this week was very like straightforward for me and i felt like i saw it pretty well jt ludwig Wyndham felt like they were all fair prices and a good bit of win equity uh that they all hold as a as a three pair together there um 
Thank you, bud. I appreciate you coming on. As always, continue to crush it over as the lead golf person at Run Pure Sports. I know that that's going fantastic for you. Tell everyone where they can find some more of your stuff this week. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, uh, I'm in a lot of places now. You know, I, I told you before the show, like I I was worried that people were over this professional golf shit. Um, and I've been pumped to find out that, you know, people still want to hear about uh, who to bet on on the PGA Tour and who to play in DFS. So if you want more of my stuff, runpeersports.com, uh, code Andy uh, for 15% off. And um, my podcast is free every week as well. Uh, if you don't want to uh, pay for the extra stuff at Run Pure Sports, you can just check out Inside Golf Podcast every uh, Sunday mornings and Tuesday mornings uh, every single week on Apple or Spotify, wherever you uh, subscribe. The best place to start, man, Sundays. You're always the first one up. You always have great information, so we appreciate it. Keep crushing it, buddy. Best of luck this week. Have fun at Riviera. Uh, we'll talk soon, pal. Awesome. Later, buddy. Thank you. See you, dude. All right. Thanks for hanging with me, guys. I'm going to do a quick final thoughts segment. We will get you all out of here. Thank you again for checking out the show. Make sure to go follow Rotoballer PGA on Twitter. It's streaming live there as well. Give that give that Twitter feed a like. Give them a little follow. Give them a little love. Make sure you know that they're uh, you're checking out this show via their support. I greatly appreciate it. Sub- subscribe to the YouTube channel. Excuse me. Um, I wanted to do a quick little final thoughts talk this week on connectivity. So those of you who followed me will know that your boy made a hole in one this week. Um, pretty interesting situation. So I'll give you the backstory. Really, the story starts on the whole before and this is kind of what i wanted to touch on so i'm on the 10th hole i'm playing pretty well i make a horrible drive my second shot i've got to kind of chip out sideways it's par four long par four dog leg right my third shot is off way to the right of the green way to the right of the green um i can't find it basically anywhere you, we were in a situation where there was a tournament. So we were playing Stableford. So a double, you pick up, you take a zero, you get your double and get out of there. We couldn't find the ball. I eventually found it. Uh, I'm hitting four on a par four, and it's in the side of this bush, maybe a foot off the ground. I'm a right-hander, so I can't even get in there. Can't get in there. Um, I literally almost picked the ball out of the tree and went to the next hole. It was kind of customary. Everyone was doing it when you're out of the hole. Let's keep the pace moving. Let's keep it going. I decide I'm going to try this. I walk back to the cart. I made a conscious decision to not give up on this hole. I went and grabbed a different club. I went in and it was the first ever time I've attempted my backs facing the hole to hit a shot backwards behind me, right-handed out of a bush. Made it to the fringe, somehow miraculously made it to the fringe. And I've got like 45 feet left for bogey to try to score a point in this Stableford's format. Your boy holds it bogey the vibes are extremely high um and i think a lot of it was a sense of of positivity that came from that moment in terms of not giving up on the hole that brought me to the 11th tee box freed me up positive vibes only and i made a hole in one first one i've ever had and I want to believe that those two moments were connected. And I know those of you who follow are thinking, here he goes again, trying to find spiritualism and symbolism in something randomly. Um, but the reality is this world that we live in is all interconnected. Um, we're all made up of positive and negative atoms and everything that you see, touch, feel, taste in this world is made up of positive and negative. Um, Embrace circumstances that may potentially be negatively charged and try to flip that script into something positive. And I think that by, here's the thing. I don't think if I would have given up on the whole 10 and taken the double that I would have made that hole in one. And you could tell me that I'm wrong, but I believe that those two moments were somehow connected and everything that we do in life is interconnected. And the more elements that you can bring a sense of positive energy to, 
may change what happens next to you. They may change what the next swing is, what your next day is, what your next year is, what the rest of your life may be could potentially be affected by something that you are able to flip from a negative scenario into a positive. Now, I understand this is impositive. This is impossible, excuse me, to deploy constantly this type of positive mindset and be effective but you can consciously make a decision in a few moments in time to flip the energy into something that is more positively beneficial to your body, maybe to your family or to your mind and believe that you will potentially see results. Thank you all for checking out the show. I appreciate your congratulations this week from so many of you. Um, it was truly appreciated. Subscribe to the Preferred Lines podcast on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on the audio versions as well. A like and a retweet goes an extremely long way. You guys are awesome. My name is Joe Idoni. This has been another issue of the Preferred Lines podcast. Good luck at Riviera Country Club. I'm out of here. Peace. Mm-hmm.